Hello and welcome to another episode of the Imprint Companion, the companion podcast to the Australian boutique Blu-ray label Imprint Films. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and joining me as always in this discussion of physical media is Mr. Blake Howard. Hello, my brother. Hello, you physical media freaks with a PH out there. Man, this is one of our most anticipated releases of the year, not just because we are contained within the limited edition 1500 copy box set, but because it just absolutely rules top to bottom. This is an amazing set. I'm so excited that we finally got our hands on it, on the test disky poos to go through all of the special features and watch all these films again. It's so great. Only regret, they don't have the Yards Director's Cut as an individual thing you can log on Letterboxd, Lexi. We really need to <laughs> sort out the Director's Cut on on different things that come up on Letterboxd because we get to see Director's Cuts or the Sam Peckinpah exclusive cut of you mm-hmm. know um uh, different things you know so it's it's nice when you can actually log the different cuts that you're watching so you don't look like a psycho who's just watching the same movie over and over again uh in that's right hey, we are in fact talking about this week on the podcast after dark neo-noir cinema collection number two it's a huge box set full of the darkness that neo-noir offers and it's quite a different box set than the first collection isn't it blake yeah totally um uh, lots of American, like 90s, early 2000s, sort of a decade apart flicks. One um, terrific French flick, which is in there as well. But it's it's also kind of got some firsts or some early mm. films from people, which is really exciting. The Yards, you know, uh, you know, only like the second big feature um, mm-hmm. from James Gray, who's out right now talking about Armageddon time. I can't get enough of James Gray. Narc, Joe Carnahan's big first film, The Way of the Gun, Christopher McQuarrie's first written and directed film as well. Blue Steel, early in the Catherine Bigelow lineage, and Mike Vigas with Internal Affairs. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think one, it's his one, second film, Internal yeah, Affairs. One of, one of his early ones, right? And he's now since gone mm. on to direct a lot of, you know, he's directing music videos, he's directing mm-hmm. television series and jumping in and setting the tone for those sorts of things, but a real ripper and kind of mm. spans the the full gamut of the way that these things are approached, really deeply personal stories, super heavy genre um, stories, really impressionistic, you know, small scale, others are more ambitious and larger scale, um, but uh, I had a good time and the uh, a, a particularly um very recently caught up with internal affairs again after not seeing it for a million years and i was just like um a nice to get a good sexual power play manipulation mm. neo-noir because uh you know i think that this is a thirsty genre and so it should be because it's about power and sex is power as well as money and greed and and violence and it's it's all about these representations of power that i think that we see and and how people survive and i i really um i had a great time watching every one of these and uh, and mm. as we'll talk about i watched a couple of them like multiple times multiple versions um that are contained within this set so really excited to talk about it with you it's a second edition of the after dark neo-noir collection and i think one of the interesting things about this one blake is that it feels almost like a later period of the neo-noir movement like the yes. first box it really felt like that late 80s early 90s and while we've got a couple of films that are closer to that early 90s period most of it feels like millennium era neo-noir with the yards way of the gun narc and crimson rivers all happening around like 98 99 2000 2002 
Yeah, it's a it's it's really interesting. We're gonna start off though in the nineties. Let's listen to a trailer for Catherine Bigelow, Academy Award winner that she is. Let's listen to her trailer of the Jamie Lee Curtis and very young and sexy Clancy Brown starring Blue Steel. Why would you want to become a cop? I like to slam people's heads up against walls. Jamie Lee Curtis is a cop yes. with a problem. I'm Put the gun down now! 24 hours on the force and she's already blown some poor slob's face off. No gun found at the scene, officer. Turning so nothing on the victim. The men on the force won't believe her. It was there, I saw it. The man at her side can't help her. I think somebody out there likes you. And the man in her arms is the killer. We have to stop him. Death. It's the greatest kick of all. Blue Steel, a point-blank thriller. Rookie cop Megan Turner, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, orders a burglar to drop his gun. When he whirls to shoot, Turner fires, killing him instantly. But she doesn't know that someone has been watching. And when that someone lifts the assailant's gun from the crime scene, carves Turner's name into the bullets and uses them in a series of murders, Turner is drawn into a deadly game of wits with a psychopath who is always one step ahead and much closer than she thinks. It's a psychological thriller. It's a female cop's mental and physical struggles with an obsessive psychopathic killer. How did you find Blue Steel? Had you seen it before? Like this one was really hard to get a hold of until I saw it in this box set. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one before. It had been hard to find. I'd heard about it, but I almost knew nothing about it except that it was Jamie Lee Curtis as a cop. Um, Blake, I absolutely loved this movie. This might be my pick of the batch as far as introductions go. Like I just had not seen this movie, didn't know too much about it, and I just freaking loved it. Uh, There is a fantastic Roger Ebert review on this film uh, where he compares it to Halloween. And I think that completely unlocked this movie for me and unlocked all this absolute kind of like sinewy joy I got from watching it because I think it really is like a evolution of like the Halloween story with Jamie Lee Curtis once again in that central role of a final girl. It is a crazed madman that kind of forms an obsession with her, um, an obsession fueled by violence and fueled by kind of weird sexual hangups and is chasing her, pursuing her. (laughs) It's kind of like Halloween meets... American Psycho. American Psycho. I was going to say Vampire, Kiss of the Vampire, which is the yeah. same movie yeah. as American Psycho. <laughs> um, it really is. Like, it really is American Psycho versus Halloween in an yeah. interesting way. Um, I thought this was superbly directed by Catherine Bigelow. Absolutely stunning framing all throughout. Beautiful tension building. Uh, but I found, like, just what I loved the most and what I didn't really anticipate, which is a surprise, I guess, is the way that Catherine Bigelow captures that gritty urban neo-noir New York city with like those kind of wet surfaces of the, of the kind of like gravelly ground and sidewalks and like the kind of way that the night 
plays with light and dark. I found it really evocative. Uh, I, I absolutely loved this. And I thought having the female Lee with Jamie Lee Curtis is a great extension into the neo-noir, like how noir keeps evolving through this era, yes. um, being something completely different. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Pick of the match for me. Blake, had you seen this before? Never seen it. Uh, two, two things really love in this film. I mean, I love the bevy of incredible character actors that are in this mm -hmm. movie just across the board. Ron Silver as this psychopathic uh, sort Oof. of American psycho-ish guy, Eugene Hunt, is so fantastic. But Great what really turn from Ron Silver. What unlocked Ron Silver for me, Lex, is he has a lawyer played by Richard Jenkins who kind of gets mm -hmm. him off the hook when he becomes a suspect at a mm -hmm. couple of times during this thing. And it just, there was like this elevated level in all the hyper-stylized you know, dark city streets, perpetual night, always constantly in shadows, being alone in this city, which seems like a swarm, all of that stuff. You get this amazing scene where Ron Silver's Eugene goes and visits Megan Turner's family in her home. And that is one of the most strikingly tense moments of the entire film. It is stacked with people, Clancy Brown, young, spunky dirtbag that Clancy Brown is. Yeah. So the good. late great Louise Fletcher, who we just passed away, just uh, passed. fantastic actor. Um, most people probably know her as Nurse Ratchet from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So you, you've got this amazing cast of actors that are just across the board phenomenal. And whether they've been massive actors before, I think Louise Fletcher gives a really tender performance as Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis's mother and really fantastic. kind of... She has a layer to her that is kind of psychosis. It feels like it's like fragile, mm. broken. Um, but no, I had a fun time with this one and it just moves at a clip. It is very short. It's only an hour and 42 minutes. So like a hundred minutes. Um, and that's with credits. Like it doesn't feel like it goes long at all. Beautifully framed or even the textures. There's some great special features that are um, on this disc. The talk even about the textures of the landscapes trying to be modeled on the gun, the textures of the gun um, grips trying to emulate yeah. that in the in the environment. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it, it could be such a small, small script, but Catherine Bigelow, I think shows her, her panache as a director, which mm. she later realizes is like a, a, a powerhouse and just, yeah. you know, she's got style for days. And so then when she comes to later films, especially like point break coming up, like she, she widens the canvas and it looks even better and, and, and really just leans into the genre. I think it was a really fun one. I had a good time with this one. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's some great special features on here as well, like Blake was saying. I loved the phallic woman deconstructing blue steel with film historian Professor Jennifer Mormon yes. and a profound emotional response video essay by film historian Chris O'Neill. I thought this was, uh, to me, I think sometimes when you get these box sets, you kind of think, oh, they're going to be like great movies, but pretty bare bones release. Yes. I think this, abs this whole box is an even better complete compendium than the first one where it's everything stuffed. feels completely stacked and stuffed yeah. and thoughtfully put together with like compilation of new features old features um it is like we said i think if we said about this a first box it really does feel like film school in a box and i think it continues even building further i, I already a great package one disc 
I would say this would be worthy of just being a solo disc. Like it's so full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every one of these, even especially as we come up to things like The Way of the Gun, knowing Chris mm. McQuarrie's got a huge fandom, James Gray's The Yards, that that disc is, that that single set in this set is in, incredible. Um, mm. uh, you know, Narc as well. Look, it's it, they are all completely stuffed. So th this was a real treat. But now we're going to listen to a trailer for a film that won Alexi Toliopoulos wrote the essay for, which I read, a sensational essay companion to Mike Figgis' Internal Affairs. Let us listen to the trailer, and we will come back and hear Alexi's thoughts on the film that he wrote all about for this incredible limited edition. The guy who wants to do it worst of all. Don't, don't. Hands up. Internal affairs is the most uh, important division on the force. We have to be better than the other cops. What do you think he's doing? Could be a lot of things. I want you to kill my mother and father. What? You go after Dennis Peck right or wrong and you don't get him. You're dead in the department. And if you do get him, it could be even worse. You know anything about this this kid bringing Navila? You have a very pretty wife, don't you? Do you have to kiss every single person at the party tonight? A little skinny for my taste, but they say skinny ones give good. Hey, Sergeant! What are you going to talk to me about? Who'd you have lunch with? Who'd you have lunch with? Hi, Raymond. Do you have enough for a formal complaint? No. Then shut up! All those friends you have on the force, you don't have them anymore. Police officer! Richard Gere. I'm gonna take care of things, don't worry about it. Andy Garcia. He's a dirty cop. You testify against Dennis Peck, we'll grant you immunity. Did he contact you? Lock the door. Are you all right? Yeah, lock the door. Yeah. Don't say anything. Take it off! Hi, Raymond. Internal Affairs. Can I trust you? Of course you can trust me. I'm a cop. Dennis Peck, played by the sexy and malevolent and <laughs> sneaky Richard Gere, knows his way around the law. He can launder money, run a scam, fix a bad rap. He can, even for the right price, arrange a murder. Trust me, he says, I'm a cop. Andy Garcia is Raymond Avila, who is investigating Peck, trying to bring him to justice in this supercharged police thriller. Peck isn't going down without a fight. Lex, tell me all about internal affairs. I absolutely love this movie, Blake. And this is a film that I discovered when I was a teenager. Um, it comes, I came to it because I had this obsession with uh, Roger Rogerson, the corrupt, most corrupt cop in Australian history, uh, who was like an underworld figure around the time that we were little kids. Um, Famous, famously played by Richard Roxburgh in the probably the best Australian television show ever, Blue Murder. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that miniseries so much. And I, as a teenager, I think I became obsessed with that as like a Sydney urban crime story as I was becoming interested in like crime cinema, cinema very heavily. Um, and I kind of came across this movie looking for like corrupt cop films and cop investigations. And it 
was like a lightning bolt for me, this film. I thought it was just so evocative and so strange and had sat with me for a very long time. I hadn't revisited it for like probably 15 years. And then when we got the call up uh, saying that they wanted us to write a few essays for this new box set, when I saw Internal Affairs was on there, I was just you like, left oh at it. I remember God, you're like, I... bang, Internal Affairs. That was not even a choice. I thought we'd have <laughs> to argue over something. You're like, <laughs> you're like, you're like Internal Affairs, yeah. Internal Affairs. And I go, Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh. great, I can do knock, no questions. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's not going to be a fight. I love this. Yeah. Um, and so I was so excited to like revisit this film and like once again, like grapple with its complexities because I think this is such a great movie to include in the neo-noir box set because it is an extension of noir kind of flipping things on its heads. And this is what I kind of talked about mostly as like the thesis of my essay was Richard Gere as Homme Fatale. Yes. Uh, which is something you don't see very often in these movies, which is the turn of the archetypes, the kind of subverting of those archetypes, and he being complete manipulator and controller of the world around him through his sexuality and through his like gendered sexuality the way that he flirts with men that is like dangerous uh while being like a heterosexual male but he does toe that line of like controlling men with his sexuality as well whether it be through their wives like cuckolding people or like direct threats on their own masculinity uh, and it, it, I think it is just a superb performance from Richard Gere. It's basically the movie that he makes after his comeback of uh, Pretty Woman. Like yes. he is, he was basically trying to search for projects again after an absence and like how to redefine himself for like the 90s. And he comes back with Pretty Woman this movie and an Akira Kurosawa film. And it's all very strange. It is beautifully performed by Richard Gere. I think it is his best performance. And then freaking Andy Garcia, he and Richard Gere did not get along at all during the making of this. They got into actual fist fights during these fight scenes, but the tension that that creates oh, between them is powerful. just, it's cinema freaking gold. Like it is just stunning. I love this movie. Blake, have you seen this movie before? I had. I'd seen it late. It was like one of those movies that I kind of shouldn't have been watching when I were probably around similar ages. And I started watching it because it was just like a Richard Gere thriller. So, you know, mm. it was on the TV and I got involved that it was pretty dark. And I, I remember being completely struck by it because I just was like, the intimidation that he gives, giving his like sexual prognosis of these mm. characters was something that I found really striking. I'd never seen anything like it before. It left a, an imprint on me. I had struggled to remember the name of the movie for the longest time because I saw it like at an early age. Like, like I think I walked in on like a late night television with ads sort of version of it. Um, and then eventually came back to it this time around. I was really struck by it. I, and, and so funny. I went to see Michael Bean in Australia mm. doing a Q&A for uh, The Terminator. And on the stage, just randomly, they were talking about careers and had he had any choices of movies that he wished he could have been in but wasn't. And the one that he kept called out was like, it was like, I got, I got uh, offered the role in a Mike Figgis movie called Internal Affairs. Like he couldn't remember what mm. it was called and I actually was in the crowd and I went, Internal Affairs. He's like, yes. Is that Mike Figgis? And he was sort of joking. He was actually yeah. offered the 
the Stephen Baldwin role and he wanted the Garcia role or he wanted the gear role. And he goes, I actually Mm. regret it because I feel like it could have been an amazing performance for me because it would have been against type and I would have been like cuckolded and would have to be hyper emotional. And, um, so it really like interesting turn, um, there, but no, I, I completely agree with you, Lex. The, the tension is palpable in this movie at every part of it. I love that he, uh, that gears power is manipulating multiple people, satisfying multiple people, manipulating men by fucking their wives, you know, being as brazen as like touching a wife's leg and trying to touch her up under a table. And then these women seemingly like being powerless to his sort of charms. Um, the people in the force powerless to his charms, his peers powerless to his charms. And just the way that he manipulates with money and power and influence in this movie is so great. And it kind of like, it's, it's stacks on stacks on gamble on gamble on double after, you know, double nothing after double nothing in this movie. Mm. And it just goes, the, the pacing of the movie is terrific. And Andy Garcia, you know, as far as like this, I, I love that his masculinity is caught into question so much in this movie and he uses his Latina machismo to like subvert that and play on mm. it. It's, uh, it's a really terrific flick top to bottom, had a great time. Would totally watch it again. It moves like lightning mm. and I just had such a great time with it again. And underappreciated legend in this movie is absolutely Laurie Metcalf who plays Andy Garcia's oh, partner. Fantastic. He's so good in this movie mm. as she's tough. She's, she's tough. She's, beautiful she's accomplished it just works up and down um terrific Mm. terrific terrific stuff yeah great film i can't wait to dive back into it there's a bunch of special features that i've not gone into because you know writing the essay like (laughs) i watched this movie like 16 times so i had to pause myself before going back in but i can't wait to dive back in when i'm ready to tackle all of that again the next movie that we've got in this box set is from the year 2000, it is from director Matthew Kasovitz, who we well know from the movie Lahaine. The film is The Crimson Rivers. Qu'est-ce qui s'est passé? Le corps de Rémi est accroché là-haut, à une cinquantaine de mètres. Je travaille sur l'affaire Rémi Kelo. Cette université est bâtie selon le principe d'une communauté. Accuser l'un d'entre nous, c'est nous accuser tous. Les parents d'une petite qui serait morte sur l'autoroute en 82. Judith Hérault. Bon sang, j'oublierai jamais le visage de la mère. Je vous parle de diable. Votre tueur vous donne des indices sur son mobile. Vous pensez que c'est un tueur en série On a affaire à un pisteur. Qu'est-ce que tu fais là When Commissar Pierre Naimans, played by Jean Renault, France's leading serial killer investigator, is called to investigate a grisly murder, he enters a world of secrets, lies, and unthinkable horrors. The dead whose hands and eyes have been removed are clues to a terrible tradition the killer can no longer bear. Each murder means something more. Each victim, a guilty conspirator in a grand immoral experiment. Filled with blood-chilling suspense, twisted turns, and breathtaking locations, this tense thriller has the style, action, in, in, and intelligence to keep you wondering what's happening right up until the shocking conclusion. I love Matthew Kasovitz. Lahaine is one of my favorite, love favorite it. films. Love him. And, and he's a fantastic actor. He's turned in Munich mm-hmm. is one of my favorite performances from a director. It's one of those ones that gets missed, I think, in the Spielberg yeah. canon of him casting directors as actors yeah. who do a fantastic job. But um, yeah, love him so much. So uh, had you ever seen this before, Lex, first up? 
I had not. I had kind of heard of it because Matthew Kasovitz as a director has quite a small filmography. Uh, I've only ever seen Lahane and this other movie he made called Assassins, um, and which are both kind of like in that crime underworld space as well. This is kind of like a bigger blockbuster style of thriller, yes. kind of more in the vein of almost like a Da Vinci Code, but much less of that kind of, I guess, historical magical realism type stuff. This is quite gritty, almost like the secrets in their eyes kind of thing. Uh, those like European thrillers. I think it's a really interesting inclusion into this box set when it comes to neo-noir, because of course, noir is a French word, meaning <laughs> dark and black. <laughs> And, you know, that is where noir begins is like in France as well. So I think it is such an interesting inclusion to have this French thriller that's more procedural uh, rather than like your typical noir. Like it is kind of, I would almost kind of say it's like the, like the dragon tattoo kind of vibe. I was just well, going to say that the scale of this thing feels very go with the dragon tattoo mm. the direction and hyper stylization especially with the opening murder echoes things like seven um it, it's and, and especially like traffic lights casting across your eyes you can't help but you know be reminiscent of like michael mann's heat or scorsese's taxi driver mm. it's it's a very stylistically uh pastiche kind of film but it's mm. so sweeping and large because it's set in this particular area of france and the french alps and so you the can alps. see not only you're not only sort of like the the rural areas and the suburban tenements where you can start out, then you go to universities and the class, the class stakes are a huge part and propulsion in the yeah. plot as well as the movie. And so I found this to be a really fascinating inclusion because it's also that kind of like, it's, it's almost like one of the precursors to Scandi Noir, like Scandi Noir mm, kind of takes, totally. takes the the noir genre and popularizes it. Just a few it. years after this one comes it, out as yeah, well. It just blows up. And these kind of bright, snow lit, you know, constant daytime, you know, we come to Christopher Nolan's insomnia a couple of years after this as well. It's like that mm. perpetual day or perpetual night feeling of noir um, really is popularized in Scandi noir. And it's just huge. Scandi noir, Nordic mm. noir, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a massive genre. It's still actually kicking so many goals. Um, and, uh, you know, the keeper of lost causes series is fantastic as well. So that's mm. what it reminded me of Lex. And I, you know, any excuse, Great call. See, any excuse to see Jean Renault, any excuse to see Vincent Casals working together. Yeah. Um, I really, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, and and I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into the specials because this is one of the ones I didn't get a chance to get into the specials, but I'm the most mm. interested in because of that, I guess, weird historical nexus um, and especially geographical um, difference. You know, it's nice to get out of yeah. America with noir films and get into international noir. Australia has some fantastic neo-noir. Um, so yeah. this, this one is, um, or, or as our friend Maria Lewis coined, yeah, noir. Um, mm. as, uh, as or as I story. coined, uh, true blue donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Both great, love them. Um, uh, pun pun gasmic, but no, this is really terrific. And 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 again, the scale of this thing, like you said, mm. it's it's funded like a huge historical epic or something, but it's really just a deeply disturbing and twisted serial killer investigation. And I, I you got to love that. 
It's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. There's this one great scene where it's Vincent Cassell and Jean Reno are basically trying to, they're separate from each other. And then their two investigations meet in the middle and they start working together as a duo. Mm. Uh, but there's this one moment quite early on in the Vincent Cassell storyline where he's investigating these skinheads that he believes have desecrated this grave. Um, and he goes into like their warehouse where they're like doing boxing training and they're also playing Tekken or Street Fighter on a PlayStation. <laughs> and he ends up doing fight, like a, it turns into a fight scene between him and these two guys um, while the Tekken is still playing in the background and it's shot like a Street Fighter fight. It's got all the same people hits and punches that those games have and you can hear like the you know finish him and like those kind of uh prompts happening from the game it is such a weird stylistic choice to have like a great beautifully choreographed fight scene in the <laughs> middle of like this thriller um it's so fun but that scene just stood out to me as like yeah matthew kasovitz is having a bit of fun making this movie and vincent cassell is like he's great at fighting it's pretty sick the next movie that we've got in this set is one that I'm excited to hear my dear compatriot to talk about. It's a movie called The Way of the Gun. Blake Howard wrote the essay on it. So let me introduce it and let's hear his uh, thoughts on it. I would say I'm a fairly good looking man, physically fit, stable. I've never killed a man. A big burden. It's just one of those days. It's all about the For the record, I'll call myself Mr. Parker. My associate will be Mr. Longbow. At some point, it became clear to us that our path had been chosen and we had nothing to offer the world. So we stepped off the path and went looking for the fortune that we knew was looking for us. And here was the thing. The longest distance between two points is a kidnapper and his money. But we were through jerking around. What I heard was you ready to put a woman's life at risk for money. Not money. Fifteen million dollars. Fifteen million dollars. Fifteen million dollars. You are here because you are for sale. And you will do as you are told. You just bring me back my baby. Longtime partners Parker and Longbow are hoping for a quick and non-violent payoff when they abduct Robin, a young woman carrying the child of a wealthy southwestern couple. But kidnapping proves to be much more complicated, logistically and psychologically, than other felonies they've committed. Parker is increasingly drawn to the mysterious Robin, whose imminent delivery date awakens strong feelings in him. Tensions rise between Parker and Longbow, a ruthlessly decisive man who knows Parker's sentimental impulses could land them in big trouble. As the moment for the ransom exchange approaches, Parker and Longbow must battle not only well-armed opponents, but also their conflicted emotions. I had never seen this movie before, Blake. I swear I owned it on DVD, though. <laughs> the way that I remembered it was... Uh, some interview like probably 20 years ago now quentin tarantino said this is the movie that he wished that he had directed of all the films of like the 21st century that were coming around he was like this is the one that i wish was one of mine you jumped at the chance to write the essay on this one and i yes. think it's something that you're too essays have in common is that they're like eulogies for two of the great actors james khan in this one what is it that draws you to the way of the gun and how do you think it sits in the now rather immense filmography of chris mcquery yeah look 
I, that's exactly what it was, Lex. It was after a year where, you know, Khan had passed and after um, a, a year where uh, Ray Liotta had passed, when the opportunity came up to write about those guys again, because they'd been on my mind, I just jumped at it. And I love Chris McQuarrie. I think he's a phenomenal talent as a screenwriter. I think he's a great film mind. He's a bit of a fascination. And increasingly, you know, since his work on Jack Reacher, he's kind of like, as you know, with this relationship with Tom Cruise, he kind of hasn't missed. Like he's made these big yep. entertain. He's made the most entertaining blockbusters, including this year's Top Gun Maverick. He was a co-writer and a producer on, you know, the latest Mission Impossible movies. Everyone that he's had his fingerprints on, I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh, I um, love those movies so I, much. I love them, and you know, I love his first Jack Reacher. I think it is a terrific and yeah. stylish and slick and muscular movie, and so. When I think back to Way of the Gun, and a lot of the times people, you know, kind of don't want to talk about the usual suspects because of the giant Kevin Spacey mm -hmm. in the room. But I and I, also Mr. Singer. <laughs> yeah, let's not it's forget a hard our movie boy. To talk about let's this not, these days. Let's not forget our boy Brian. Man, there's some stories Oof. from uh, your the time. boy, not mine, brother. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Let, let's let's everyone else's boy. He ain't our boy. Okay, <laughs> we do not endorse his behavior in any way, shape, or form. But so it's a hard film to talk about because of those guys these days. But mm. that being said, the film is amazing. And so seeing what mm. he was going to follow up, the Usual Suspects, with was always this thing. He ran away from crime films, and so I was so fascinated because he's kind of abandoned this movie in his canon. He doesn't like talking about it. He perpetually talks about the movie being a failure to him and him going to Hollywood jail. And in rare interviews where he talks about it, he's like, you know, this was a colossal failure financially, critically. And, mm. and he saw himself, you know, despite all of the, I guess, cleverness that he wanted to do this infusion of genre and, and be, you know, being genre aware, it, it didn't land. But just like so many of the movies that were made around this time, I don't actually feel like it's been fairly maligned. I think it stands up. I think it has so many phenomenal elements that are very entertaining. I think it has a terrific cast. And I think that some of the cast do really some of their best work in this movie. And I, I, I would say that when you have a cast that has someone like James Khan, when you have Benicio Del Toro, when you, you, these, these actors are so phenomenal across, uh, across the board. And it has sequences that are, you uh, it has sequences that are reminiscent of, uh, you know, European cinema. Mm -hmm. Parker and Longbow are the real names of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know, it's it's these. It, I I there is so much here to mine that while it may not be as cohesive a whole as Macquarie wants it to be, and he might not yeah. love it in the same way that he admires his other films, I still think there is so much here to savor and particularly the role of James Khan, um, which is Sano, the character, as this older guy who is a survivor. And I think that that's what this movie really gets me on. It is these old survivors, this, you know, two dueling, I guess, pairs of partners who've been working together, um, another pair of antagonistic partners, you know, Tay Diggs being one of them. It, it's just a blast from top to bottom with these different partnerships, these different archetypal characters and how it kind of all winds up into this sort of Sam Peckinpah wild bunch showdown. Mm, very much um, wild bunch. And it's, I just think it's a sensational film. I, 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 I am hesitant to want to just go back into my essay and read all of the reasons why, but I'm going to make you guys go out and seek that out. Mm. Um, but I just, I, I want to say that it is something to savor. It's a film that kind of long got abandoned. It's uh, yeah. under, uh, you know, as far as I'm going to say, want to say is like, 
it was panned unfairly. And it's when you start hearing about other filmmakers and how it inspired them, when you start looking at the careers of people like Ryan Philippe, who I feel like has been underutilized in so many damn movies. I come back to this, I look at it. I'm like, he's sensational. Mm. Uh, There's just so many great examples in this movie of genre awareness, really wanting to tell a great crime story, subversion of the noir genre. And I just think that it plays like it, 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 I constantly want to put it on because it's just a fun hang to be with these, these characters and they're interesting and they live and breathe. And, um, and I just thoroughly enjoy it. And I, I'm so happy to say that this disc has two phenomenal commentary tracks, one with Mm. the director and writer himself, Chris McQuarrie and Joe Kramer, the guy who scored the film has some amazing stories about the way that the, the script evolved about music choices, about everything that's on there. And then, and, and, and his admiration of the different actors, how he worked with his actors and some of his early style of just changing scenes to make them work on the day. But then our, uh, our friend um, uh, of everything at one heat minute productions, Travis Woods does a sensational yeah. commentary track. Can't wait this. to hear it. Oh man. It's so good. So I, I, it was a very much a, um, my essay was a labor of love, but uh, you know, hearing Travis wax lyrical about this movie as well. Mm. And these characters too, is just fantastic. So I, 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 I love Chris McQuarrie and I do still love this movie a lot. I think it has so much, even if you might not think it's as razor sharp as a guy who's been sharpening his sword for years. So good. The features are stacked and I would strongly recommend getting onto it. Old interviews on the set, new commentary tracks, an essay, Mm. sensational. Yeah, I can't wait to watch Travis's uh, commentary because his little letterbox entry, I think, is fantastic um, at kind of like picking apart like what kind of holds me back from this movie. I'll just read it to you as well. So allergic to exposition that it risks losing most of its audience during a talky second act, which discreetly explains all of the events of the first act while murdering all those of the third. What said That said, giving it the rewatch, it doesn't entirely ask for or earn the first time through reveals a widely layered and funny deconstruction of the post Tarantino crime film. I mean, come on as if you don't want to hear that guy <laughs> talk about this movie. It's interesting that they, to get someone like Travis to do this and what he would probably put on the track, like as someone who's such a great noir mind, not being like a real, someone who's like, you know, sucking the movie off the whole time. I'm just like, that's such a great choice. Yeah. Look, he, he plays, he, he loves um, the symmetry of this movie. His track points Mm. out all that sort of stuff. He also offers up a great drinking game um, about every time you see someone's wallet in this movie. And uh, (laughs) he um, he's, he's as obsessed with James Khan Sano as I am. So I think um, a really rewarding thing. And uh, you know, if you, if even had a passing familiarity with this movie, I would, you know, I'm, I'm really strong on it. Of course I wrote the essay on it and I jumped at the chance. um, So you would know how I kind of generally feel about it, but I I love it. And I, um, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Let us move on to our next film now. Um, speaking of another filmmaker who's currently making films as one of the great talkers about making films mm-hmm. um, around Absolutely. the place. Um, let's jump into a trailer for James Gray's terrific The Yards. You're a nephew. What is it you do for this guy? We got people behind us. You find out what they like and you make it happen for them. If all they want is cash, there's always plenty of that. You know I can't get into no trouble, you know that. You won't get into trouble, I won't let you get into trouble. 
devastating for us. Would you be willing to testify under oath? Maybe you should think about getting him before they do. Make sure he don't turn up. What are you doing here? Want to get caught? Released from prison after taking the fall for a group of his friends, Leo Handler, played by Mark Wahlberg, just wants to get his life back on track. But when he takes a job with his powerfully influential uncle, Frank, played by James Khan, another James Khan movie in this box set, and reconnects with his old friend, Willie, Joaquin Phoenix, Leo finds himself unwittingly drawn into a world of sabotage, high stakes payoffs, and even murder. Then he discovers a secret that makes him the target of the city's most ruthless family, his own terrific 2000s film the yards from james gray this box before i hand over to lexi has not only the original theatrical cut it has the director's cut which is in fact two minutes shorter stuff with special features mm -hmm. and on the director's cut it has two commentary tracks it has james gray and a conversation with james gray and steven soderbergh lex what did you think Oof. going back to the yards I love this movie. I actually hadn't seen it before, Blake. This is just the the little blind spot for me in James Gray. There's a couple of other ones that I've missed as well. But I really, really like James Gray. And I love Little Odessa. And I love We Own the Night. They're oh, kind man. of like... We Own the Night. The two, so good. On, on either side of this film, he's got two other like Brooklyn set uh, crime movies. Queen set crime movies, I should say, rather. Um in that kind of like Ukrainian Russian diaspora. And I think the yards might almost inch them out as my favorite. Now, as uh, much as I love, we own the night. I think this one was fantastic. Director's cut of the yards. Going to say it. My favorite James Gray. At, it's at like, really fantastic. It, so fucking good all across the board. The actors are incredible. It has, Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin Phoenix, Charlize Theron, Faye Dunaway, mm -hmm. Ellen Burstyn, James mm -hmm. Kahn. That's just the top liners. Like under yeah. the, the second tier, so You've many. You've got Victor Argo popping up, one of my favorite freaking guys. Yeah, Victor Argo. That, he is an Alexi guy. Oh my God. Yeah. If you just said, you just I love said, him. Uh, Victor Argo is in there. I'm going to, I'm going to go and get some of these guys. Steve Lawrence, um, Andy mm -hmm. Davoli, Vic, obviously Victor Argo, Thomas Millian. Robert Montano, like um, Victor Arnold um, plays Albert Granada in the film. Dominic Lombardozia, Miami Vice guy, one of my guys, yeah. David Zayas, who, you know, kind of got stuck doing TV and Dexter for a long time, but has played of a great course. deal of character actors. Um, yeah, I this movie, the way that it rolls out, the how kind of how kind of small the stakes are that then explode mm. into this big sprawling portrait of a city. It's the most Lumet movie. Honestly, yes, that I think absolutely. That, I, that is not directed by Sydney mm -hmm. Lumet. It's the most yeah. Sydney Lumet movie that I think I've seen. And I was just like, yeah. holy shit, this is a good movie. So good. And Wahlberg's performance, one of his best. Easily. Yeah, easy. Easily. Easy. And uh, so, yeah, I, I have Probably between this and I guess uh, Ted, or maybe Ted 2, <laughs> actually. Ted 2. Definitely yeah. Ted 2 and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Um, I think yeah. that's that's where they are at. But no, so fantastic. Um, and like I said, I watched this movie, The Director's Cut, absolutely adored it after having seen the theatrical like many mm -hmm. years ago and then immediately backed it up and watched it with the commentary track from Soderbergh and oh, James Gray. Yeah. And it is 
seriously, guys, James Gray, who's been doing the rounds, doing fantastic interviews on his Armageddon time tour in this media tour. One of the best talkers about movies and mm-hmm. uh, just, just going around. Um, fantastic storyteller and hearing these two guys unpack this movie together and Soderbergh talk about craft and gray talk to him. He's like, I don't want to talk about the movie. I just want to talk to you, Steven. And uh, it's just, you know, really fantastic. The story about how Matt Reeves, the guy who's now directing Batman came in and helped him touch up the script. It's just really fantastic stuff. And yeah, this movie, honestly, if I wasn't so wedded to two of the films in this box set, like Mm. on a really deep personal level, I'm, I'm like, this might be the pick of the batch for just pure yeah. quality of the disc. You know, the disc is outstanding. The two discs is a double yeah, disc double, in here. Double, double disc, baby. I'm right there with you, Blake. I love the way tension builds of this movie. I think the framing is just fantastic. Yeah. But particularly the way, like, the final climactic juxtaposition of Wahlberg and Phoenix. Phoenix is strung, and it's just, like, such a highly tense moment and like the way that those frames play with each other in juxtaposition between these two stories as they build to those climactic moments is beautiful 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 would you recommend the director's cut over the theatrical cut yes always always james gray's a guy who's been talking about how for for, fortunately or unfortunately has been associated Mm. with the weinstein company and harvey weinstein was a guy who was you know, either buying his movies or working with him and in direct conflict with him and then had a, a struggles with that Astra, you know, which we're mm. not yet able to see a director's cut version of that film, even though the theatrical cut I quite enjoyed. Um, it's shorter. It seems more coherent. It plays so beautifully, the framing in some shots that it, that reappear, um, especially Marky Mark walking across a bridge at the beginning of the film. I just feels like it, it sets the tone for the whole movie in a much better way and it just moves. And that's not to say that the original version of the yards that most people may have seen prior to this mm. Blu-ray release is not good. It's very good. But I just think the director's cut all the way and particularly because you can immediately back it up um, and watch it with Soderbergh and James Gray talking about it. Two of my cinematic filmmaking heroes just like yeah. ch- chopping it up on a, on a commentary track. Very cool. Extremely cool. The next movie in this batch is another one that Blake... Howard has written the essay for. This is another one for me that was a touchstone as a teenager, bought the DVD, loved the movie, fantastic to revisit, Joe Carnahan's Narc. Are you familiar with the Michael Calvis case? He was murdered working undercover. Yes, I'm aware of that. We feel that your presence in this investigation would be invaluable. They got a dead cop and dead ends and they're reaching. Lieutenant Oak, he and Calvis were close. He was the first one in the tunnel that day he discovered the body. This is all politics. They didn't know him, they don't care about him, they can't forget about him fast enough. I like him. But between you and me, no! He's not stable. <laughs> That's beautiful. How long you been with your wife? I lost her. I'm sorry. It's okay. I like talking about her. I'll tell you this much, I became a much better cop the day she died. Any hesitation I had about the job was gone. The only thing you need to know about me is that I'm going to bag the mothers that killed Mike. If that means breaking every point of procedure, then they're broke. Oh, 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 oh. Bagels and guns. It's almost impossible you're this dumb. 
You notice anything about his mood in the weeks before? Was there anything strange about his behavior? You questioned her, what for? You can hear that If you face. need to know what she said, you refer to the fire. Yeah, I'm looking at you, hold your son, and I can't believe you would ever feel the need to go back to that again. Do not move! This is a police issue revolver that belongs to a slain officer. What are you doing with that it? That was not in there. You planted you that. I planted it? Who planted that? Who planted that? Your partner, Oak, is dirty. I didn't get him. I didn't get him. You guys did it. You were there before he died. Tell me that I'm wrong. They shot him and ran. He's lying to you. You're messing with something you can't possibly understand. You're gonna let this lowlife call up my integrity? My commitment to that kid? Narc tells a story of suspended undercover narcotics officer Nick Tellis, who is reluctantly drawn back onto the force to find the truth behind the murder of a young police officer killed in the line of duty. He is teamed with Henry Oak, played by Ray Liotta, the slain officer's partner, a rogue cop who will stop at nothing to avenge his friend's death. As Tellis and Oak unravel the case, the dark underbelly of the narcotics world reveals itself in surprising ways that are more twisted than either officer has ever seen before and threatens to destroy them both not only have we had multiple james khan movies pop up in these two box sets but i think this is the third or fourth jason patrick led (laughs) neo-noir film in these boxes uh i never had come to the conclusion before that he is like the poster boy of the neo-noir movement but i think he might be Blake, you adore this movie. Oh my god! Can you, and you also adore the work of Joe Carnahan. Can you tell me about Narc and kind of where it sits in that filmography for you? Look, I think what I love most about Narc from Joe Carnahan is that it just is. It's there's such a clarity of the vision that he is trying to depict. It is about an undercover cop and his crooked boss. And deaths that are going down and this convergence of two men, you know, one being shot, taken out, coming off the force, now coming back to investigate his own shooting, coming back to investigate the death of another officer and trying almost in the investigation of another officer to, I guess, reclaim who he was because he's lost all definition of himself. You've got Ray Liotta's character who, you know, much like a lot of a lot of uh similarities between he and richard gear as far as a guy he was going beyond his purview as a police officer often beating people could be deeply racist Um, you know it's i think it's it's both explicit and ambivalent about those things and whether he's good or not and to be honest he's just the clarity of the direction this is a a detroit set crime thriller but carnahan was like i wanted to look like a cinema verite you know russian eastern european documentary so he went and got alex nepomansiaski um who who directed um um, and was uh, behind things like the americans and big love eventually but was like directing these small Mm. eastern european documentaries and it just everything fits it's cold it's dark it's bleak it's decay it's everything. And I, I was reticent to read any of the lines um, from my other essay, but I just want to read like, you know, mm. I, I am going to spoil the climax of NARC a little bit if you haven't seen it, but the whole film is pitting Jason Patrick slowly, closely and closely, like sort of, he's he's almost like a boa constrictor that's sort of strangling, um, strangling Ray Liotta's Henry this entire time. And he's trying to get closer and closer. And as they get close to the truth, it's, it's, 
almost Rashomon-like in that mm. you are seeing the layers of these unreliable people's perspectives of things coming back together. And I don't actually think the movie lands on the truth of it. It is a battle mm. really between truth and justice. And I just think that the miracle of Ray Liotta's performance in this is that Henry is not a character that you should empathize with. And yet you feel yeah. deep empathy for him and Patrick's decision to make his, to, to, to do what he does at the end of the movie. Um, I, I don't think the path is clear. Like I think the movie sort of gives you that, but it, it's smart enough to withdraw and make you sort of wrestle with what his decision would be, what yours would be. Mm. And Ray Liotta's power as an actor is just on show here in a way where like mm. he shouldn't make you upset when you watch the end of the movie. And yet he does. And when he's leaving the film, you kind of feel this awful, overwhelming darkness is enshrouding you. And that is how, that's how good he is. That's mm. how, that's how I perceive Narc. And that's how I remember Ray Liotta. And I truly think that that's the miracle of this movie. And I, you know, Carnahan's filmography is all over the place because he's yeah. a blustery kind of bloviating guy who like burns bridges and, and, mm -hmm. and sort of thing in his career. But like, I, I think this and the gray, which well, is he almost had freaking Macquarie's career basically with yeah. Tom Cruise seeing this movie going like, wow, we got to get this guy to make mission impossible. And then he's like, actually, I hate working with this guy. <laughs> actually, I hate working with people uh, just in general, yeah. but like, yeah, totally could have had Macquarie's career is, you know, a lot of great, you know, blacklist screen mm -hmm. uh, screenplays on the list that have just never been made because of him. And I just truly think that, he is a really special, special kind of filmmaker. And, um, you know, the, the gray, absolutely sensational. Even cop shop yeah. was super fun, but some of the other middle ones that feel like his heart's not in it, they never seem as good when he's essaying mm. masculinity, especially ambivalent, um, yeah. ambivalent masculinity. Um, I think he's one of the best American independent filmmakers out there. Um, when it gets a little bit too trite and, and it tries to be a little bit more glib i don't think it ever works but man this this was just like this is like his first album he just threw his whole yeah. heart and soul into mm -hmm. it and and you know there are bands who fall way off the radar after that but this is you know this is his opus this is as yeah. good as it gets this and the gray really fantastic movies yeah. and really worth re-watching if you've seen them before or getting into it for the first time. Narc is great. The way that Blake compared uh, the previous film, The Yards, to Sidney Lumet, I think this is like the most gritty update of like the 70s detective films that like William Friedkin made, you know, yes. like French Connection. Like this feels like how you do French Connection in the millennium. Like it's pretty, it's a wicked movie. But Leota, Leota, my god the most transformative performance like it just you look at him and i don't see ray Liotta. i don't i'm like who is this big beefcake they've got in this i don't know yeah. who it is he's, fantastic he, performance yeah he's magnificent one of his best performances ever and so many great stories in researching this that like the reason that tom cruise ended up coming onto this movie as a producer was like one dinner with ray Liotta. <laughs> ray's like come on tom Come on, man. Wow. And Carnahan being scared out of his boots that that uh, that the Ray was going to intimidate Tom Cruise. Like, come on, man, do it. Get behind us. And they did. And the movie was a splat, made a splash, and Carnahan made his mm. career off of it. And so he should have. And it was a movie that kind of got 
Rayleigh Otter reappraised again as a phenomenal yeah. actor. Like I think a lot of people had just slept on him since Goodfellas. He hadn't found the roles that mm. really lived up to his true potential, but this certainly isn't one of those. This is one of the very, very, very best in this actor's career. And it's one of those roles that at that time had all that Oscar buzz around it. But I think mm. the movie was like too weird and too dark to like catch on and properly get him a nomination. But yes. it is like one of the great supporting turns in this genre. I think it's just fantastic. Uh, miss you so much, Ray. Oh, one of the great Ray. actors. Miss Ray God and Miss Jimmy. Man, mm. that concludes one of a few episodes that we're going to have to do on this November batch. We have, you know, we have waxed lyrical about this. I cannot say this enough. This is, you know, we we sometimes do a year, end of year wrap. And if we don't get around to that this year, um, because both of us are so busy, Lex with pre-production yeah. of finding the next finding series, me with getting out the next few series of One Hit Meter Productions podcast. This is a must purchase. I can't tell mm. you enough. If this is, if you are a crime person, a noir person, you must own this box set. Sell it out, imprint, yeah. make them buy it, make them release it again, make them sell these titles as individual <laughs> things. Like, do what you have to do because it is truly this, this neat, like, even more so than the essential film noir collections, which are also yeah. fantastic from imprint. I am just like, make more of these more neo-noir yeah. there is such a gold mine of 80s and 90s noir films that have fallen through the cracks in 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 the recent uptake of streaming and there are so many mm -hmm. re things that are right for rediscovery so um man thank you so much lex um for getting together with me again to just dive into this congratulations we didn't get to talk too much about your essay on internal affairs but his home fatale thesis chef's kiss mwah, fantastic i got to read it i hope you guys get a chance to get your hands on it it's absolutely fantastic and for a guy who usually is doing a lot of the talking and not as much of the writing much like myself he did a fantastic mm -hmm. job and i'm proud of him as, as a buddy you. oh thank you man as did you two beautiful essays from blake howard yeah i'm really excited that we got to put essays in this it's so cool dream come true total dream come mm. true for me and again two filmmakers and artists i wanted to write about so so excited and uh so i hope you guys enjoy it this has been another imprint companion will catch you on another episode very shortly lex before they catch up with us where can people find you leading up to the end of the year uh check out finding Jesus, the youtube series that i made with cameron james also we just celebrated 200 freaking episodes plus on total reboot the movie podcast cam james and i host we went year by year through our lives and picked our favorite movies and talked about them over three huge freaking episodes i was gonna say not um, one not two not three i was like i thought because you told me it was going to be two when you recorded it this yeah. is a behind baseball and he's like he yeah. texted me and goes this might be three i'm like okay yeah. great i can't wait but you've got we them recorded all on the letterbox list right as well yeah we've got them on letterbox list so you can check them out on my letterbox where cameron and i put all our picks so if you want if you've listened to the episodes you want to catch the movies you want to locate them to put in your watch list they're easily accessible now that all three episodes are out and we recorded them in two batches and then i started editing the episode two and i was like oh my god this is like two and a half hours long i've got to <laughs> cut this up and spread it out um, but they're really fun it's a great way to like kind of celebrate 200 episodes of that podcast and then next year i'll be doing something a little differently for a while uh in the realm of movie podcasting on that feed and then later on in the year cameron and i I are going to be starting a new podcast that's kind of a little bit uh, more closer to finding. It's kind of like total reboot style meets finding content. I can't wait. I can't wait, guys. Um, all I'm doing right now is diving into the Heat 2 book club and mm -hmm. editing together 
an incredible series called Podcaster and Commander with some amazing yes, talent. Yes, I'm yes. super excited about that coming out. That's going to be flooding your feed for December is Heat 2 Book Club, flooding your feed in January and into February because there's going to be six episodes of the Podcaster and Commander series. They're all ready to go. Lots of bonus content emerging from our Patreon. So usually things go on our Patreon first and then occasionally they drop in the main feed, dropping those pretty regularly through January and February. And then into April next year, two massive shows, Pod Thomas Anderson with Ethan yeah. Warren hosting, produced by myself. Lovely trailer that you made for that. Thank you. A litany of cool guests. We're very excited. It is going to be uh, just absolutely stacked they're not going to be long episodes but they're going to be so stuffed that you're going to want to consume them over and again really sensational nine episode series leading up to the release of his book paul thomas anderson american apocrypha and then jen johans and i and lex watch out you're going to get you're going to get the bat signal up um midnight run through is coming up so that is jen johans and i collaborating for both of our feeds on that one compiling a great episode uh list of guests and uh we have found a way to really reanimate uh the the voices of the people who've uh dearly departed us the yafit cottas of the world the dennis farinas of the world um uh, and and obviously um the charles grodens of the world so really excited to work on that and can't wait to bring midnight run through to you guys as well and then more stuff coming up in uh the uh one hit minute productions feed it's exciting times uh, midnight run one of my favorite movies of all time one of the best the litmus configuration is going to be something we're going to talk about, Lex. I can't wait. Guys, thanks for listening. Catch up with me on uh, socials at One Blake Minute. Catch up with Lex at This Is Alexi. And we'll catch you on the next episode in the Input Companion very, very soon. I'm Ethan Warren. I'm the author of the book, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, coming April 2023 from Columbia University Press. And I'm here to invite you down to Hot Tracks Nightclub, onto the schooner Golden Fang, into the House of Woodcock and Fat Bernie's Pinball Palace, because coming next spring from One Heat Minute Productions, it's Pod Thomas Anderson. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! Starting now, you're not to blink. If you blink, we go back to the start. I cannot begin my day with a confrontation. This is faith that brought us together. This is faith. Throughout this nine-episode audio documentary series, you'll be hearing from me with some excerpts from my book, plus excerpts from my conversations with some fascinating guest voices, including film critics. My name is Ty Burr. I'm Cassidy Olson. My name is Ella Kemp. Actors, comedians, and podcasters. My name is Paul Russ. Hey, I'm John Gabris. Hi, I'm Joe Perra. And so much more. We'll have an episode on each of your PTA favorites. That's right, we're talking Hard Eight. It's almost impossible to imagine the PTA of this century making anything that looks like this. We're talking Boogie Nights. Fuck, it's about family and how you don't find family via birth. We're talking Magnolia. I went into the theater, one person. I came out of the theater, a different person and a different moviegoer. We're talking Punch Drunk Love. We're kind of like a sweet romance story, but the anger that is underneath is so funny. We're talking There Will Be Blood. And you're not prepared for how good it is and how cool it is and how amazing it looks. We're talking The Master. There are so many interpretations you could bring 
to this movie. It's that dense. It's that ambitious. We're talking inherent vice. So it's this layer and layer and layer of both indecipherable corruption, but then also like that corruption can be funny. We're talking Phantom Thread. Rarely has it been the case where I have felt that I was in masterful hands from the very first shot. And we're wrapping it all up with a slice of licorice pizza. How do you take the statements of your youth and then how does that fundamentally stay the same but also kind of soften or change? So subscribe to One Heat Minute Productions now on your podcasting app of choice. Next spring, you'll be getting all nine weekly episodes right there. And in the meantime, if you pre-order the cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha today, wherever you get your books, then you'll be a star, a big, bright, shining star.